You're listening to the micro version of the Savage Lovecast at savage.love. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, So it's not just here. It's not just in deep-fried MAGA America where we're seeing this trend. As John Byrne Murdoch reports in his Data Points column in the Financial Times, the political views of young men and young women, which we've talked about before on the show, are pulling apart, which could have far-reaching consequences. But it's not just happening in the United States. It's happening all over the world. South Korea, Germany, the UK, the US. Everywhere you look, everywhere you can get this data – Women are becoming more liberal, more progressive, while men are becoming more conservative and regressive. Young men and women now increasingly inhabit separate spaces and experience separate cultures, Byrne Murdoch writes. And the worry is, as young men and young women inhabit separate spaces and vote for different kinds of people and hold different political beliefs, Women, increasingly, aren't going to want to fuck with men who don't think women should have the right to get an abortion, use birth control, work outside the home, or vote. I want you to hear what Joel Webin had to say recently. He's a prominent Republican activist in Texas, a GOP conservative activist in Texas. He's also a pastor because Texas. And here he is being interviewed last weekend about the future conservatives want. Fact. We would not have one Democrat president in the last 50 years if women couldn't vote. So I don't want women to vote because I want strong marriages. Mm. I want cohesive households. I want representative government all the way down to the family. Mm. And I also want babies not murdered. Yeah. I don't want drag queen story hour. Mm. I don't want rainbow jihad. And none of that could happen if women couldn't vote. They're always telling us what they want, and we pretend that they can't really mean it, that they must be exaggerating. No, they mean it, just like they meant it when they said they were coming for Roe, just like they meant it when they said they were coming for your birth control, that they were going to slap that pill right out of your hand. They are coming for your right to vote. Joel Webin isn't the only right-wing Republican activist out there saying this. And this is their solution to women refusing to marry shitty men. They want to take us back to a time when a woman couldn't exist legally, socially, financially, professionally without a husband. That was a system. That was the system we had until about 50, 60 years ago. That was a system where a shitty man could always get himself a wife. And they want to bring that back. One way they're going to bring that back, doing away with no-fault divorce. So when he talks about strong marriages, note he doesn't say loving marriages. He says strong marriages, strong like a high security prison, strong as in inescapable. So a woman can't get out of a marriage, which might, you know, give a woman second, third, or fourth thoughts about getting into a marriage with a man in the first place. All right, that's the future conservatives want. Here's the future I think conservatives are going to get. Straight women are going to get together pool their resources and go in on a nice house or a mansion. There are trend stories out there about this happening already. Think Golden Girls, but instead of 50-somethings, 30-somethings. And I think, as I've already said on the show, that some of these women are going to decide that they would rather share one good man with their best girlfriends than marry one shitty man themselves. Especially if right-wingers succeed in making those shitty marriages harder to get out of by ending no-fault divorce. Getting yourself a timeshare boyfriend or going in together with your girlfriends on a lease-to-own timeshare husband, that's going to sound better and better every time Reverend Joel Webin opens his filthy fucking mouth. And ladies, if you're going to let go of your hang-ups around polyamory, you might want to think about maybe letting go of your hang-ups around kink. Because getting yourself a nice progressive sub-guy who really wants an FLR, that's a female-led relationship, means you'll never have to wash a dish or mop a floor in your own house ever again. You know, one of women's legitimate beefs about straight relationships is the way domestic responsibilities, household chores, fall disproportionately onto the shoulders of women in opposite-sex relationships, even with guys who say that they are progressive and want an equal 
partnership, those chores, have a way of becoming women's work. Ladies, in an FLR with a sub-guy? You can flip that script. This is the future liberals want. Progressive women living in mansions with their best friends and a hot guy who literally gets a boner every time he's told to go and clean the bathrooms. Another option, and this may actually be an easier lift for a lot of women and likelier to play out over time, is women giving up on men entirely, but not giving up on sex or marriage. New polling came out over the weekend that found that nearly 30% of adult Gen Zers, people between the ages of 18 and 25, identify as queer. All right, in that surge, you will find, in those new numbers, you will find some people who identify as queer because they're demi or ace or arrow or poly and hetero. But the fastest growing group, the largest single group in the Gen Z queer community, the majority of queers among LGBT Gen Zers, bisexual women. Lots of these women in the past would have grown up to identify as straight and partnered with men and married men and had families with men and done most of the housework. Going forward, a lot of these women who now identify as bisexual are going to look at the men on offer and think, I don't want a husband. What I need is a wife. All right, circling back to last week's show, we launched a neologism, tolyamory, tolyamorous, Tolly, that's where somebody is putting up with tolerating their partner's infidelity from taler in Latin, which means to bear with, and amory in Latin also, which means love. Someone who's tolly amorous is putting up with the shit their love pulls. Getting lots of discussion on social media. I think tolly amorous is going to take root in our lexicon and our culture. Someone already added it to the Savage Love Wiki page. That someone wasn't me. Thank you to the someone who did that. I would be delighted if someone took the time to add it to Urban Dictionary. Again, I'm not going to be that someone. I kind of want this to happen as organically as possible. And you know what? It is. And evidence that that is actually happening, the number of podcasts I heard over the last week where the hosts were talking about polyamory. Here's Nancy Rommelman. She's the first voice you hear. And Sarah Heppola talking about polyamory on the latest episode of the Smoke 'em If You've Got 'em podcast. Polyamory is a gateway to divorce. I mean, well, we, we, we talked about that last week, and one of the points that was made to me by a friend was that that point had been made by a therapist, and marital therapy is a self-selecting group of people. You know, these are people that are already in marital crises. You know, one of the frustrating things about polyamory or any kind of alternate marriage, because there's polyamory, which is like the trendy word for the thing that kids in Brooklyn do. And then there's old fat, what, what Dan Savage online has been calling tolyamory, which is tolerate po- po- polyamory. And he's like, he, he did this thing that was like great moments in tolyamory. And it was like Bill and Hillary Clinton, uh, Leonard Bernstein and his wife, um, you know, all these different people. And I I wrote back on Twitter and I said, I think polyamory is basically another word for the entirety of marital history. Later in the show, Nancy mentions a poly couple she knew who would not shut up about polyamory. And I think we all agree the only thing more annoying about a polyamorous person who will not shut up about polyamory might be a monogamous person who won't shut up about polyamory, which Nancy kind of qualifies. Anyway, Nancy says she knew this one couple so into polyamory, polyevangelists, they wouldn't stop talking about polyamory. They thought everybody should be polyamorous. And of course, that couple that Nancy personally knew is divorced now, which confirmed Nancy's priors and her currents and her futures about polyamorous relationships. Well, Nancy, I personally know two straight people who practiced monogamy and talked about it constantly and thought everybody should be monogamous like them. And they got divorced. And they were my mom and dad. Look, if we're going to run with anecdotes, anecdata, my parents' monogamous marriage lasted 22 years. My open marriage, we just celebrated, kind of celebrated, our 29th anniversary last weekend in the most poly way possible. Terry and I were sitting in the dining room having something to eat and a chat, just the two of us, when Tom, Terry's boyfriend, came into the room and said, happy anniversary. And we both looked at him and said, wait, whose anniversary is it? What anniversary is it? And he said, yours. All right, coming up on the show today on the micro, tons of your Q, lots of my A, and on the Magnum Savage Lovecast that you can subscribe to at savage.love, you will get 
the Magnum Lovecast with more calls, more guests, no ads, access to the entire Savage Love column, invites to Savage Love Live, and more. Comedian Dulce Sloan, you might know her from The Daily Show, joins me to talk about her new book. We also talk about men and the people who are foolish enough to fuck them and headless torso pics, not just a grinder thing. Apparently that's also something that men are doing on hookup apps for straight people. Dulce Sloan and I go deep on all of those subjects. That's on the Magnum. Subscribe now, savage.love. All right, let's get to the show. This episode of the Savage Lovecast is brought to you by Dipsy. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, sexy audio stories designed by women for women. Get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash savage. Revolutionize your sex life with Liberator, makers of sex positioning pillows, shapes, and furniture that can help you spice things up. Get 40% off their best-selling wedge ramp combo by using promo code SAVAGE at liberator.com. Hey, Dan and Nancy. So I'm almost 38, this het female living in a liberal part of the country. And it's just really hard to meet people now. I tried online dating and it mostly feels inauthentic. And I've gotten to the point where I kind of feel like a stereotype. Like I'm Carrie Bradshaw in Sex and the City without a Mr. Big. I don't know. I really want to be a mother. And I hate the stereotype and truth that like time is kind of running out. I know, Dan, you've talked about like, get the fuck out of the house. Go out, even when you don't want to. And I've tried. And the tone in my voice is making it sound like sadder than it is. But I was just curious what advice you'd have for me. I'm going to recommend a really old movie to you. Looking for Mr. Goodbar, 1977, stars Diane Keaton as a young woman, late 20s, I think early 30s, having her sexual awakening at the moment when singles bars were suddenly a thing. And singles bars became the place that single people went to meet other single people, as opposed to marrying somebody from down the block, like Demona Hoffman talked about when she came on the show to discuss her book, F the Fairy Tale. That was how people met kind of before singles bars came along. And singles bars back in the day, which I think people sometimes have a kind of romantic nostalgia for now because of the meteor strike that was the arrival of dating and hookup apps. Singles bars had their issues. And I just want people who complain endlessly about dating apps to put them in perspective. It wasn't like back in the day, your parents set you up with somebody from down the block and it was true love and it was frictionless. And it wasn't like back in the day when the singles bar scene took off in the seventies that you went to a singles bar and everyone was polite and kind and you had a good and frictionless experience on the way to finding somebody that you could be with. And yet people have this expectation that dating apps, hookup apps, which is really where people meet these days, should be like the singles bars used to be or getting set up by your brother with a friend of his used to be, but really never was, frictionless and only a font of positive experiences that made you feel better about yourself. And it's never been the case. Dating is and always has been and always will be a kind of a nightmare because you have to go out there Make yourself vulnerable and then discover during the dating process whether the person that you opened yourself up to is someone that you like, is someone decent and kind that you're attracted to sexually and kind of enjoy hanging out with and you like the taste of their spit and don't mind the smell of their farts. And that takes time and that very few people are lucky enough to meet that person the first time, and not that person, that one person, there is no the one, there's only tons of 7.8s that you can round the fuck up to the one. Some people go out and they meet at 7.8 right away. And we're all jealous of those people. The rest of us, we have to go and go and go. And we have to, once more under the breach, dear friend, we have to throw ourselves back out there on the dating apps and leaving the house and doing things if we want to find a partner. And you should call her. Now, I'm going to specifically address your situation. You should just be really blunt and straightforward about what it is that you want. You're 38 years old. 
You want commitment and love. You want a child. You want a family. And you want a man who wants those things too. Put that out there. You will repel instantly a lot of men who do not want those things. Those are the men that you should be anxious to repel. And you may attract some men who want those things. And dating apps, hookup apps are where the boys are now. They're also out of the house, moving through the world. People have chance encounters. You should. I'm always urging people to move on both or all fronts. Fronts are a spectrum, not a binary. So get on the dating apps, join clubs, leave the house, hang out with friends, make sure friends know that you're single and looking and build a life for yourself that makes you happy whether you ever meet someone or not. We all arrive single. We all risk going out single because even if you're happily partnered for a while, divorce happens rarely do two people die at the precise same moment together. So there's going to be a time in your life when you're likely on your own again and you want your happiness to be something that can exist irrespective of whether you're partnered or not, because odds are there will be another stretch of your life where you are not partnered and the happier you are, the better your life is, the more somebody who comes along may look at that and think I want to be integrated into that happiness. I want to bring my happiness into their happiness and create a Venn diagram of our happiness together that hopefully has a lot of overlap. Now, maybe for you, creating that life for yourself where you are happy and feel fulfilled, whether you have a partner or not, would involve going ahead and having the child or children that you want to have as a single person. There are lots of people out there who have created their own families, had kids without waiting around for a partner. And then some people have had kids solo. I'm not suggesting that kids are bait. Had kids solo. And then once they moved into the parenting universe, Parentlandia, met other people who were single parents and wound up creating a blended family. You just never know where you're going to wind up if you go pursue the things that you want, whether or not there's anybody standing beside you right now who seems to want those things too. So if you can swing it, if you have that village, because it really does take a village, if you have a community of people around you who would support you and be there for you, and financially in this country, you can swing it. 38 years old, you want to have your own kids. Stop waiting. Hi, Savage Love. Is it time for a poly backlash? I've just put on indefinite hold a long-distance open relationship of one and a half years, tired of my other half's constant search for new sensations, often right in front of my nose. Perhaps sometimes he'd rather have bad sex with a newbie, shout out to Viagra, than awesome sex with someone he professes to love. I would have enjoyed the likes of threesomes with him, but he's not into those with partners to uncomfortable or complete strangers. Nonetheless, we would share tales of our shenanigans with each other and in quite some lewd detail. Last summer, I hooked up with a random hot Mexican in my city, and it seemed to really irk him, unusually for him. He's not prone to jealousy, unlike me. Next thing, a three-way WhatsApp convo between us all became too exasperating for me, so I bailed, and hey presto, I discover they've privately arranged a two-week sojourn alone at my partner's without my consent. Well, for them to get to a place of mutual understanding between four walls, remember they didn't know each other, and in the sack, and Lord knows they tried in the sack, put a huge strain on me, an old maid a thousand miles away, and because I clearly was wounded, but wasn't allowed to show it by what seemed an emotional coup d'etat, I was, quote-unquote, to blame for their tension. Meanwhile, my precarious trust issues went to the roof, and here we are on a necessary, if heartbreaking, break. My point is, how satisfying are poly relationships, ultimately? I found the amount of mental gymnastics required to process people's behaviors stroke selfishness and find a place of acceptance so time-consuming and energy-sapping. To put this into context, I was previously in a 14-year relationship with a basic don't-ask, don't-tell dynamic worked wonders. I had cheated, 
Let's assume he did the same, but does it matter? He never knew. I didn't let it overpower our relationship. We went to sleep contentedly in each other's arms at night. The argument is Polly is honest. Polly is good. Cheating is bad. But from experience, it seems to me that it's a justification for some pretty shady, inhuman behavior that perhaps a more traditionally contoured relationship wouldn't involve. We're done. So polyamory is having a big moment. Molly Roden Winter's memoir of her open polyamorous marriage, More, came out a few weeks ago. Big stories everywhere. And some people, even some people who are nominally fine with open or poly relationships, are just a little sick of the poly discourse. And a lot of the, I don't know, poly triumphalism that we see from some poly proselytizers that even I, as a poly person, kind of loathe. And this one guy on Twitter that I follow who doesn't follow me, and I don't remember why I followed him, David Polanski, wrote, at this point, I'd be interested in seeing an ethicist argue for the position that straight up cheating is preferable to polyamory. And here comes your call where you're arguing that you preferred your previous relationship where it was technically cheating. There was kind of an implicit unspoken DADT agreement or truce to this poly relationship that you've been in. Now, when David tweeted that, wanted to see somebody argue that straight up cheating might be better than polyamory, I leapt at it. I said, I can make that argument. Cheating is sometimes the least worst option for all involved, including the person being cheated on and cheating successfully, cheating and getting away with it requires absolute discretion. Absolute discretion imposes limitations that can keep cheating to a minimum. There, I did it. I made an argument in favor of cheating over polyamory. And I'm just going to say there are people out there who would rather be lied to than left. And some people know they're being cheated on and they feel nothing but relief, but they don't let on lest the cheating partner take their relief as a license to be indiscreet or scandalize friends or fuck coworkers or not be discreet around their children, thereby making all of those other people in the life of the person being cheated on feel complicit in the cheating. Rolled out recently on the show, a new term, a neologism, polyamorous. That's what you were in your past relationship. You tolerated a certain amount of outside sexual contact, but you didn't want to know about it. And one of the ways your ex made sure that you didn't know about it was not neglecting you not taking you for granted, being there every night in bed, in your arms to fall asleep with you. You were always, even if he was sometimes getting a little extra dick on the side, you were the main dick, the dick he cared about most or the person attached to the dick he cared about most or the person he cared about most attached to another dick. You didn't get that from the person you're with now or you were with recently. You got treated very poorly I don't think we end polyamorous relationships everywhere for everyone for all time because you were in a shitty polyamorous relationship. If we ended certain relationship models for all times everywhere for everyone or kicked off a backlash, there wouldn't be monogamous relationships and there wouldn't have been monogamous relationships for a very long time because there have, I hope you're all sitting down, there have been some very deeply shitty monogamous relationships out there that have fallen apart. There are sometimes relationships, you know, when a relationship falls apart because it was open or poly, people, even the people in them are inclined to blame poly. When a monogamous relationship falls apart, nobody blames monogamy. Even if there are times when the pressures of monogamy or the expectations or the irrational expectations or the realistic expectations people may have of their monogamous partners, like you're never allowed to look at or even think about anybody else, can destroy a relationship. And yet, even when monogamy could be blamed, nobody blames monogamy. But when a couple is open or had a three-way or polyamorous and it doesn't work out, people blame the polyamory. Even the people who are doing the polyamory, like you, caller, are inclined to blame the polyamory rather than blaming that asshole, that inconsiderate, lying asshole who treated you like shit. And shipped some of that shit with the excuse of, the cover of, the poly relationship. When a relationship is monogamous, everyone kind of understands what that means. These two people 
only have sex with each other. Closed, sexually exclusive relationship. An open relationship is a negotiation. And it can take many, many forms, including an explicit DADT agreement. But people can put limits. People can say, you know what? I'm up for open or poly, but not at this pace. Not open and poly, not so much fucking other people that I feel like the lowest fucking priority. And my emotional needs or my sense of emotional safety isn't prioritized in your rush to get somebody else's dick in your mouth. And that's what you weren't getting in this relationship. You weren't his priority emotionally. You weren't emotionally or sexually safe with him. Not because you were polyamorous or he was polyamorous, but because he was an asshole. And you need to break up with him. Maybe your next relationship will be monogamous. Maybe your next relationship will have an explicit E-N-M-D-A-D-T agreement. Maybe your next relationship will be poly in a way that you feel safe and comfortable and joyful about. But let's not, you know, we're already having a bit of a poly backlash because there have been too many stories about polyamory in the wake of this memoir coming out. But let's not justify a poly backlash because some people in poly relationships were terrible to the person that they were in that or persons they were in that relationship with. Because by that standard, there should be a never-ending backlash against all different kinds or types of relationships at all times. Picture this. You're on a bus. You're grocery shopping. You're waiting somewhere for something from someone. You're bored. Or you were. Because with Dipsy in your ears, it's a whole new secret experience. You are actually not bored. And no one will know, because Dipsy's just in your ears, why you are flushed and smiling. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, sexy audio stories designed by women for women. Dipsy brings scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories at Dipsy about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with vampires, Greek gods, and fairy smut to explore the bounds of your sexual pleasure and your erotic imagination. New content is released every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. They also have soothing sleep stories, wellness sessions, and sexy written stories to read. Let Dipsy be your go-to place to spice up your me time, explore your fantasies, relax and unwind, eradicate boredom in line at the CVS, and even heat things up with a partner. For listeners of this show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com savage. That's 30 days, full access for free when you go to dipsystories.com savage. Let them know the Lovecast sent you by going to dipsystories.com slash savage. Hey, Dan and the tech-heavy at-risk youth. This is an early 40-something queer guy calling from the rural west. Out here, the queer community is scattered, and obviously we're here, but not in huge numbers. And a lot of the times we find each other through the app. And I've been finding myself in the same situation multiple times, having the same conversation where I meet up with a really good-looking guy. We have a good time. It's kind of a hookup. We might exchange numbers, you know, try to meet up when we can. Generally, folks are within a couple of hours, so it takes a little bit of planning. It's kind of this relationship conversation comes up pretty quickly, and the texting starts happening real frequently, and then there's always this conversation about communication styles and how much to communicate and what you're looking for. And I'm just wondering how to navigate that. You know, I think like a lot of guys on the apps, I enjoy meeting hot guys. I like connecting as friends. I like the hookup. But the apps are, you know, for the most part, kind of hook up. But I'm starting to get this kind of relationship vibe happening pretty quickly after maybe one or two meetups. And... I'm finding myself having to explain, like, you know, logistics are hard. We live far apart. 
travel back and forth is hard. And I don't know if, if I need to have something more upfront, like, hey, just to let you know, this might not go anywhere or let's hang out when we can, no expectations. I kind of feel like that's expected, but reality proves otherwise. So I don't want to hurt people's feelings and I really want to maintain friendships because living in areas where there's not a whole lot of queer guys, we um, don't want to burn bridges and it's always fun driving through places to know folks and have a hot hookup if you can or just to connect. But I'm just wondering what your thoughts are on having these conversations quickly and upfront or if I'm just missing something. You are doing some girl shit here. You are not being direct with a no rather than saying to somebody, I am not interested or I am not available. You're saying, oh, logistics are hard. We live far apart. I don't know if I can travel. What you're saying is if things were a little different, I might date you. I could see us being boyfriend and girlfriend or boyfriend and boyfriend, but oh, you know, I just got out of a relationship. I'm really busy at school. All of those bullshit reasons that People toss out there, not just women, not just girl shit, boy shit too, as your call proves. People toss those out because they think they're being polite. What the other person hears is maybe. If we can solve these problems, I would want to be your boyfriend. That's what they hear you saying. If you maybe moved a little closer, we could date. We could be together. You're giving them false hope and then you're wondering why they keep coming at you. Be direct. Be honest. Put it right on your fucking Hookup app profile. Hey, always looking for a hot hookup. Totally down to be friends with benefits. Lonely out here in this rural area for gay men, but not interested in a boyfriend or dating. I am not looking for love. Always open to friends. And then you're not going to have to have these conversations about communication styles or get butt sore text messages from somebody whose text you didn't respond to instantaneously, which is an expectation people tend to have when they're texting with someone that they feel that romantic attraction or hope for. So just put it out there. Just be honest. Just be direct. No more deflecting. You say you don't want to hurt people's feelings and you want to maintain these relationships, but when you say things that give people false hope and then they realize later that you weren't direct with them, even if what you thought you were doing was being kind, essentially saying, it's not you, it's me, or it's not you, it's the distance, or it's not you, it's my new job, or I just got out of school, or I just got out of... No. No. That hurts people's feelings because on top of rejection, they feel played. And man, love is blind. I wish everybody, when they heard, oh, I'm just so busy at school, I can't really date right now, that would auto-translate into their head when somebody says, not you, it's me, it's you, it's me. It's not going to work out. They don't want me. That's what that means. It's code. And you have to be able to read it. But you know what? People can't read it or often don't and then get hurt. So don't draw it out. They get hurt worse if they have to figure it out later that you were saying no. Just say no. And uh, the apps, you can say no right there in the headline on your profile. This episode of the Savage Lovecast is brought to you by Liberator. Deepen your connection and get creative and get comfortable in the bedroom by adding Liberator to your erotic playground. Liberator ignited a sexual revolution two decades ago, driven by a mission to liberate couples from bedroom boredom. They created epic shapes and furniture like the wedge ramp combo, the SE Love lounger, the Bonbon toy mount, and the Fascinator throw, all specially designed for better sex. All also proudly made in America from high quality materials like furniture grade foam, plush microfiber, and premium leather. Liberator goods are built to last a lifetime. The shapes and furniture raise the booty for better access, especially for oral and anal, plus support the hips, knees, and back for deeper penetration and better stamina. They give you increased mobility when transitioning positions and make advanced positions more accessible. Hello, wheelbarrow for all. Even better, they don't collapse under your weight or wild sex like regular bed pillows do. 
With deeper penetration, expertly angled access, and solid stability, you stimulate more zones than ever before. You get deeper than ever before. Hit the P spot, hit the G spot, hit the A spot. Give your lover extended oral sessions without getting neck strain. Add your favorite toys to Liberator's toy mounts for solo fun or dual pleasure with your partner. Liberator is offering 40% off the best-selling wedge ramp combo just for listening to the Lovecast. Act fast and use promo code SAVAGE on their website. You'll join a million satisfied customers. If you're ready to ditch your boring sex routine, if you want to try out some new positions or you want to be more comfortable in the positions you've always enjoyed, deck out your sex room with Liberator. Head on over to liberator.com, use the promo code SAVAGE, let them know the Lovecast sent you. Invest in your sex life. It's worth it. Liberator has the ultimate bedroom adventure gear, and they're a proud sponsor of the Savage Lovecast. Hey, Dan. My girlfriend and I met in back of my family business about two years ago. She lives next door. It started as a friendship and moved on to lovers. She's much younger than me. I'm a very spry 60-year-old. We have great chemistry mind-blowing sex, and lots of fun together. I had no sex for the last 20 years of my 27-year marriage. My wife booted me out of the house when she found out. She said it was more than sex. It was a relationship. And I guess that's true. Now my ex-wife forbade her from entering our shop. My 27-year-old son will not speak to her, look at her, or even mention her name. And he has drawn the line he will not cross. He's fine with me dating her, but he gets angry when I ask him to care about my happiness and try to be cordial with her. He calls it politics in support of his mother, and he thinks this girl was sabotaging, but she was not. He swears he will accept anyone I date next. My son and I remain very close, and I'm training him to run our shop. His mother and I are on good speaking terms. My girlfriend hates that I value my son so greatly and don't make her number one. She wants full commitment, so awkward, and it causes so much angst and turmoil, the two sides weaponizing each other, and it gives me stress and heart palpitations. Two months ago, I left the relationship because the grief was really overwhelming. Fucked up, we still love each other and miss one another, yet I remain distant because all contact is so wrenching. I've gone on a few dates since, but I can't stop thinking about her. She isn't perfect, she's judgy and a motor mouth, but I can't imagine I'd do any better. Some people say blood is thicker than water, and others say that I'm a fool to leave her, because obviously I'm enamored. What do you think I should do? You are a quitter. You gave up too early. It had been 24 months of this drama and grief. You started seeing somebody else, blew up your marriage. It was a sexless marriage. Completely understandable that the marriage might need to end and that it might end in this way. A lot of marriages that need to end, and I think even if you're on good and friendly terms with your ex-wife, as you claim, even she recognizes that it needed to end and that you're both in a better place now, probably have a better relationship now than you did when you were married and burdening each other with the expectations of what a marriage should be and what you should be to each other, which for 20 years you weren't. Yeah, it's only been 24 months. It can take time for people to get used to that. Sometimes it takes longer for kids to get used to it. I didn't, I couldn't really be in the same room with my dad after he left my mother for someone else for four fucking years. And then it was hard for me to be in the same room with my dad and his, by then, second wife. It took me a long time. Now I call my stepmom and talk to her and tell her I love her, and I do. It took time. So you're engaging in that logical fallacy where you project out a future where everything is always thus and nobody grows, nobody changes, nobody gets used to anything. Right now, your son is very performatively signaling his allegiance to his mother and his commitment to that bit obviously has outlasted his mother's anger. So far as you know, we don't know what she's saying to 
your kid, the son you share behind your back, it's outlasted her anger at you for the collapse of your marriage. He'll come around. Give him another 12, 24 months. If you want to be with this woman, be with this woman. It is ridiculous that you dump this woman to make peace with your son. What you say to your son is like, hey, sorry, sorry, I love her. We're going to be together. You're going to have to get over it or get used to it. And you say to her, hey, I'm not in control of my son. Also, my son is a non-negotiable presence in my life. And just as he's going to have to get used to you, for now, you're going to have to just fucking eat the fact that he's not a fan of yours or of us together. But like Dan Savage and his stepmother, he may come around in time. We're going to give him time. But you can't tolerate, even for a moment, your girlfriend of two years telling you to have to pick between her and your son. That is not a choice that your girlfriend should be asking you to make. Hi, Dan. I've recently made a connection with someone online. We've known each other for a few months, but have really been talking a lot one-on-one with our cameras on and stuff for the last few weeks. And it just feels like everything clicks in a way it hasn't in a really long time for me. And I'm wondering if you think it's reasonable or kind of sound to enter a relationship with someone you haven't met in person. I do plan to go out and meet in March. So I guess part of me thinks I could just wait until March. But the other part of me is really into him and I could see a future at some point down the road in a couple years when I finish school. I could definitely imagine being in a relationship long distance for that amount of time and then moving out to where he lives, which is about a three hour plane ride away. So I don't know. Should I have the conversation? Because we've kind of tiptoed up to it before. Um, Would it be okay to say we're dating, tell people in my life, say I'm going out to visit my boyfriend, kind of plan things? Or am I being kind of silly and should I really wait until we've met in person just to make sure that everything feels the same? It's a bad idea to blurt I love you out the first time you feel it. You're dating somebody, you're with them for a while, you start to feel like, ah, I love this person. I love them. I want to be with them in an open-ended sense for a very long time. You don't say it right away. You feel it for a while. You feel like you want to be this guy's girlfriend. You feel like he could be your boyfriend. You feel like there's a real possibility here. That is great. Go ahead and feel that for a while, but you don't have to say it out loud yet. And it's jinxy to say it out loud. You know, you're dating somebody, you're dating them for a month, you feel that I love you bubbling up inside you, and you just are like, okay, I'm going to sit with that feeling. I'm going to let this play out a little longer so that I get more confirmation that this person isn't just a projection of someone I might be able to love, that I'm not rounding this person up or I haven't, you know, encountered, we haven't even had our first fight yet. I don't know how we're going to process conflict. So like, I don't know, I'm going to wait. Just wait. March is what? Five, six weeks away. Go meet him. See if you like how he smells. See if you like how his spit tastes. See if when you're together, you have the same rapport that you've managed to establish when you're Swapping text messages, which are a really great interpersonal tool. A lot of people relate online. I text constantly with the most important people in my life romantically. And so, yeah, I totally get it. And I have really good friends. I, I used to dismiss the possibility of a romantic relationship or even a friendship involving two people who'd never actually met in person, that this was some sort of something else. But you know what? I take that back. I have really good friends that I've only ever interacted with on the internet. No boyfriends that I've only ever acted with. And while I'm willing to allow that a friendship can grow from that, I really do think there has to be at least one fucking face-to-face meeting before you can slap the boyfriend-girlfriend romantic relationship label on it. Five weeks. Five weeks Go visit him. Have a place to stay besides with him. 
have a backup plan if you are planning to stay with him. If you get there and you get a bad feeling about him or his apartment is completely decorated with red fucking flags, have a backup plan. But if it feels right once you're there, you like the taste of his spit, like how he smells, you have as good a rapport in person as you do online, then, then you can think about going home and letting everybody know that you're super excited about this guy who might be your new boyfriend. All right, before I get to this week's listener response calls, I want to share a couple of listener comments about last week's show posted at savage.love. Says JPEG, hey Dan, just wanting to touch base about the caller who asked about swingers and pineapples. While I agree you shouldn't just start making out with someone's wife when you see a pineapple, you should still ask. The big thing you're missing, Dan, is upside down. Generally, people don't leave their magnets on their fridge upside down on purpose. And an upside down pineapple means swingers. All right, you're still going to want to check if there are lots of fruit magnets on their fridge and little kids in the house. It might not have been mom and dad who turned that pineapple magnet on that fridge upside down. Still going to have to use your words and ask the dreaded direct question. Says Allie, for the caller who called to complain about his sex life tanking after his wife quit drinking because she has ulcerative colitis, she may be in too much fucking pain to fuck him with abandon. Chronic illnesses are mentally and physically taxing and experiencing symptoms like painful bloody diarrhea tend to be libido killers, especially when it comes to anal. He should consider asking her how she's feeling as a part of that convo he wants to have about missing blowjobs and butt sex. I missed the mark on that question. I sometimes do. There's a similar question in this week's Savage Love coming out tomorrow, Tuesday. And I give a much better answer to this question, basically the same question, because you all took the time to yell at me, to take me to task for the answer I gave that caller. So I want to thank you for letting me know I messed that one up. I think I did better in the column this week. Be sure to check it out and let me know. This one came in via email from Doug. I love the injection of polyamorous into the English language and it sparked another word for me. How about polyamorous? This is what happens when you practice non-monogamy but without the knowledge or permission of your primary partner. Folly Amory. All right, Doug, cool your jets there. Haven't even gotten Tolly Amorous fully rolled out and injected into the English language yet. We can work on Folly Amorous after I get Tolly Amorous into the OED along with pecking. All right, for more listener comments and more of my responses, check out Struggle Session. That's a weekly bonus column for Magnum Subs. Goes up every Thursday at Savage. Dot love And at the end of every struggle session, I share the reader-nominated Muppet-Faced Man of the Week. You're going to want to subscribe, if for no other reason than to see who the Muppet-Faced Man of the Week is. All right, on to listener response calls. To the woman that called in about the guy that didn't give her a hug after three dates, just want to let you know, I do the same thing on normal dates, and I usually wait to make a move until after three dates. And it's because I don't want to get considered a creep. I have lots of female friends who complain to me all about the men that are just all over them from the word go on the first date. I don't ever want to be like any of those men. I don't ever want to be even thought of like those guys. So I found for my own sanity and the safety and well-being of my date that I usually don't make any kind of physical move until after three dates. No hugs, no kisses, no nothing, unless there is a clear, enthusiastic request on the part of the woman for me to make a move. Now, what I will do is tell the woman straight up on the first date that I don't hug, I don't kiss, I don't make any kind of contact because I want to get to know them. So do with that what you will. Hi, Dan. I'm calling in about the man whose wife recently was diagnosed with ulcerative colitis and can no longer drink alcohol. And he was really upset that it was impacting his sexual pleasure. And I'd like to ask him, what questions has he asked his wife about how she's feeling with the diagnosis of a rare chronic disease that's most oftentimes progressive with what she's going through with the symptoms that ulcerative colitis has brought to her life and how she's feeling overall with that diagnosis 
being brought into her reality. It seems like he is selfish beyond belief, and I appreciate the type of nuanced conversation that we were trying to direct, but I think the first question he needs to ask her is, how is she feeling, and how is she doing, not, will you suck my dick on the family vacation? This is a caller response for the caller whose wife began transitioning and he wasn't quite sure how to live with it long term. I fell in love with someone, got married after two years. They came out as non-binary a year after and then as trans male the year after. Two years later, they had their top surgery and they've been on testosterone ever since. And I can say from personal experience in the long run, you do end up falling in love with the person on a on a deeper level. If physically things aren't always there, that's exactly what what porn and fantasies are there for. But also just the person that you spend the most time with, you can in fact fall deeper and uh, deeper in love. And we're going to leave it there. We have three ways for you to get us your questions and your comments for future shows. You can record your question or comment at savage.love slash askdan, or you can make a voice memo app on your very own phone and email us your question or your comment to q at savage.love, or you can call us on our landline. Yes, we have one of those. And leave us a message at 206-302-2064. Our next Savage Love Live, a Zoom Hangout Q&A session for our Magnum Savage Lovecast subscribers goes down on Valentine's Day, February 14th, noon Pacific time, whatever that is, 3 p.m. East Coast time. Magnum Sub, you will get the email in your inbox on the morning of Savage Love Live, February 14th. And tickets are going fast for Hump 2024 Part 1, the first in our two-part, well, you know, we used to call Hump our Dirty Little Film Festival. Now that Hump is coming to you twice a year, we have more than 50 films in Hump this year, Part 1 and 2. It's not so little anymore. Tickets for the spring show, Hump Part 1, 2024, going fast at humpfilmfest.com. Get yours now. Follow me on Instagram and threads at Dan Savage. Follow me on Blue Sky at Dan Savage. And I am still lurking in the bad place at Fake Dan Savage. Follow Dulce Sloan on Instagram and threads at Dulce Sloan. That's D-U-L-C-E-S-L-O-A-N. And for all things Dulce, go to DulceSloan.com. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and Nancy and the tech-savvy at-risk youth. We'll all be back at you next week with another installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thank you for telling me. Hey, thanks, but no thanks to your face.